Welcome to episode nine of the Plant-Based Performance Podcast with me, Lee Petcher. And me, Amelia Rose or Emma Drysdale, whichever you prefer. How are you, Emma? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. You've been at work today, back in the office. Yeah. How's that been? It's okay. It's a bit hard because there's quite a lot of people now. They've taken on new staff due to the business you know, expanding. The business is huge compared to what it was when I first started. Mm. So we need more people. I won't say where I work because I don't want to get them into trouble. But if I'm honest, there's not a hell of a lot of social distancing. There's not the space to social distance. It's a very small space that we've got to work in. And you've got four or five people kind of crammed in. So it's not, I don't love being there for the sheer fact that I feel a bit like, oh, the people that I work with are lovely, but I don't know what they do. Are you wearing aware? masks or anything like that? No. No, we're not. Oh, man. I'd wear a mask if I were you. <laughs> I mean, I've got I, a Spider-Man one. You can wear I that. I mean, I can, obviously, and that's my choice. I am quite lucky because I can sit on my computer away from people because I have a different job to do for most of the day. So Still, mask, hand sanitizer, like spray them down as they come in and spray spray them again as they walk out can't be dealing with it yeah no it's 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 not the easiest situation to be in because i need to make money and sometimes i need to be in the office to do that so that's just the way it is you've been working from home how has that been Good. I like working from home. I uh, we've got my little routine going. So we're up by six o'clock, working out, have breakfast, get a shower, and just sit down at the desk and work from eight till five, and then that's it. <laughs> love it. I love having a little morning routine. It keeps me accountable. It keeps me focused. I really feel it if we wake up a bit later or if I don't work out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That said. Guys, this is a plea for anybody out there who is a personal trainer or a nutritionalist or anything like that. Please get in touch. I have been working out for ages and I'm I'm sick of it. I'm sick of my body looking the way that it looks. It's not bad, but it's not where I want it to be. If anyone's got any hints or tips out there for, for anything, please just get in touch. In fact, I've been on Clubhouse today listening to all the fitness rooms just to try and grab any kind of advice going. So please hit me up. Anyway, speaking of social media, now this story has been around since 2017. Mm. I've only recently just heard it and more people are just hearing about it now. Did you hear about the woman who tattooed a cat? Oh my God, yes. So I saw I saw Harley Quinn, Kevin Smith's daughter. Yeah. I saw her posting a story about it. I'm absolutely appalled. I can't believe it. It's like a sphinx cat, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't see any videos or anything. I believe there is a video that, uh, that's going around I've of the cat. I've seen a screenshot of the video yeah. of the tattooist holding the, yeah. the cat's kind of face. It's having to be held down because a tattoo, right? You don't have any. I've I, got this fake one on at the he's moment. He's got a fake tattoo, yeah. <laughs> at 36 years old, he's got a fake tattoo on. Tell them why I've got a fake tattoo. Tell them why? Yeah. Because you want to know what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't go and get an actual tattoo, so I want to know what I look like with a tattoo, if I suit it, 
So I've got a sticky on one. <laughs> well, I have three tattoos, real ones. And I can tell you, right, show off. they bloody hurt. Like, yeah, I can imagine. It's a, it's a needle. I'm sure everybody knows what a tattoo is, but just in case you don't, it's a needle going in and out of your skin very, very, very quickly, deep enough that it will basically scar you. So to do that to an animal, I've chosen to get these tattoos. That was yeah. my choice. And therefore I can deal with the pain because I'm like, I want this tattoo. Well, you can deal with it up to a certain point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up until yeah, up to a certain point. I can imagine people with larger tattoos than me probably struggle a bit. But mm. again, they've chosen that. Yeah. Whereas this cat, it's got like a full on like chest piece. Chest tattoo. It's awful. Well, no, I don't even want to promote it. I, I was going to say we'll stick a photo up on Instagram, but I don't. I don't want to promote no, it. No, no. I'm sure awful. if you can, go, you can Google it if you if you want to see it. But that's sick, man. Yeah. There's also another bit of sick news. There's no. I don't think I've got any good news today, if I'm honest with you. But we are in the UK, as you probably know, and the UK has just left Europe again, as you probably know. Since then, which it's not been very long, but since then. Our lovely government have um, allowed a pesticide to be used in the UK again, which was banned in Europe, and it's going to kill all the bees. Idiots. So there's petitions going round from Greenpeace and, and people like that. Basically, again, save the bees. Just save all the animals. But yeah, it's like we could go into cahoots with China and be like... We're not going to sell any makeup products unless they're tested on animals. Yeah, the the government clearly don't care. Otherwise, why would they have gone, oh, do you know what? It's banned in Europe, but now that we're not in Europe, let's go for it. They clearly don't care is about the ramifications. Like, is that is that what it is? I don't I don't actually know. I probably could have done some more research on it, but I have not had the time. But yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's cheaper. But knowing that it's dangerous to, to the bees, I think it's pretty shit to be honest. Just leave well alone. Yep. Anyway, we've come to that part of the podcast where it's Amelia Rose Reviews. What am I reviewing? I'll I'll tell you. Oh, okay. (laughs) How's the theatre world? There isn't one at the moment, really. Everything's just getting delayed again. It is, isn't it? It's tough. And I do, I feel sorry for all our theatre performers, brothers and sisters, not just performers, but all kinds of staff, front of house, cleaners, wardrobe, makeup, choreographers, everyone. I do feel sorry for them. But TV's still going. Mm-hmm. What are we watching on TV at the moment? Uh, we're watching It's a Sin. Quick review of that. Well, we've only watched two episodes, but so far, very enjoyable. Next. Um, Seinfeld. Quick review. Don't think I get it. Don't think it's my humour. I mean, it was out when I was born, so I think it's just maybe a little old for me. Don't know. Fair enough. Next. Uh, WandaVision. Quick review. Awesome. It's Marvel. What What more could it be? Um, what else are we watching? Heroes. We're re-watching Heroes. Well, you're re-watching. I'm watching season two for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good, yeah. Bill and Ted Face the Music. Good. Not as good as the original films were. And last but not least, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, very DC. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I thought it was going to be better than it was. Wonder Woman was what every Marvel film is to a point. Do you know what I mean? Marvel films were really, really good. 
Yeah. Wonder Woman was definitely the strongest. I mean, Captain Marvel, when that came out, I wanted that to be Wonder Woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it didn't. Wonder Woman's great and we were very excited for the second one and it did not live up to expectations. It It was good. Don't get me wrong, it was good. It's not the calibre that I wanted it to be. No. Took a very long time for anything to happen. I'm not sad that I spent the money to stream it at home. I'm not because I wanted to see it. But will I watch it again? Probably not, unless it's free or very, very cheap. <laughs> mm. So we are having our very first guest on yeah. the podcast today. That's very exciting. Hannah Ellis Ryan is a Manchester-based actor and producer, originally from Australia. As an actor, she has appeared in ITV's Coronation Street, playing villain Hannah Gilmore, and her most recent theatre credits include Kill Climate Deniers at the Pleasants in London, and Danny and the Deep Blue Sea, produced by Play With Fire Productions. Hannah is so proud to be the venue manager at Hope Mill Theatre, as well as founder of her productions, who stage female-led work in the heart of Manchester. So Hannah, thank you for being our first guest on the Plant-Based Performers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's exciting. The pleasure is ours. So our our first sort of question for you is, where did your vegan journey begin? How did you come into veganism? My gosh, it's so funny. I was actually saying to my partner this morning, I was like, let me just have a moment to try and remember how long it's been and oh. when it, because it has been obviously quite a long time now. So I've been vegan for about 10 years, actually. Wow. So yeah, I was in, um, essentially, I was very overweight, basically my whole life. And I think I just never really... <laughs> It sounds ridiculous, but you know, when you are younger, I guess you just don't really connect food and how you look. And I would watch films and be like, I don't look like that, but never connect. And that's because I was eating chocolate cake every night. (laughs) I just didn't make the connection. Um, And obviously I'm an actress and I've always wanted to be an actor. That's always been what I've wanted to do. And I just assumed that I would be, I don't know, that that would be this huge hindrance in my life. And I know that sounds really negative, but just for myself, I just had a very bad relationship with myself. I I have that right now. I suffer from BBD. So I, I, I don't like the way that I look and I, I watch films like as we were talking earlier about Marvel and things like that and I see Ryan Reynolds and his body yeah. and things like that and I they just, all just look perfect yeah. generally everybody it's it's really it's really hard it's a really hard thing that I know some people talk about it but I still think we could talk about it a lot more to be mm, honest yes. about just what that does to people when you're growing up especially when you haven't quite made those connections yet as I say yeah. I would watch tv and I wouldn't quite understand why I didn't look like them yeah and um so I went to drama school and while I was at drama school, um, you know, everyone's quite beautiful. <laughs> it's, you know, you get thrown into this universe of, you know, oh, I was the best actor in my like high school yeah, class and yeah, now yeah. I'm in this universe of, so it was just a lot of, I don't know, this is all going to connect eventually, I hope, but basically <laughs> thrown into the world of a lot of comparisons and just feeling quite bad about myself even more so. And anyway, uh, there was this one very scarring moment that happened where um, someone who was the lead in our final production I was like a spirit it was in the tempest I was a spirit um a nothing and the girl who was playing Miranda got quite ill 
and they needed an understudy for her. And I was basically told by the assistant director, you would be the understudy, but you can't fit into the costume. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, Because I knew I was like, oh, I'm probably the best fit for Miranda, maybe out of the girls who have small parts. Like, oh, my gosh, maybe I'll get to like have a part. And I was essentially told no, because you don't fit in the costume. And anyway, so when I left, once that happened, that was, you know, sometimes there's just a straw that breaks the camel's back. And when that happened, I was like, I really need to sort this out. So essentially, after I left drama school, which was in 2009, that was my final year. I've got so old, guys. So, um, <laughs> after I left drama school, I um I just started doing the research and I just started, you know, learning, joined a gym, got a personal trainer. So it all started in health. Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, um, it very much started from a health perspective. And again, this was like 10 years ago. So there was nowhere near the rhetoric around meat that there is now. Like yeah. it wasn't this thing that people know is a little bit bad for them. That just wasn't really the case 10 years ago. So I was, li- I was eating, you know, lean chicken breasts and le- ugh, gross. Um, but I was eating, you know, <laughs> I was eating all of the things that you're meant to eat as you're getting healthy. And I was losing weight and I was starting to feel better. Yeah. But of course, as you're just forming this relationship with food and you're getting more and more obsessed into the research, you can't, it just eventually confronts you. Eventually you're just like, oh, wait, that's what our digestion tracks look like. And oh, (laughs) wait, that's what this is. And and so I started just really opening my mind to it. And I started watching more and more documentaries. And basically, funnily enough, the moment that it all just kind of clicked for me, so it was all swirling around in my head as like this cocktail. And then weirdly, I remember I was watching the documentary Food Inc., Oh yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, which is it's not it's not a vegetarian documentary at all. It is just a documentary about where food comes from and just mm. to give you a bit of that relationship with food. And there's just one scene where a cow just goes from being a cow, uh, going through the motions of becoming food. Mm. And of course, I just watched that and I just you know, something just clicked. And I just was like, that's not right. That is yeah. not right. There's no universe where that's correct. And it wasn't even the it was nothing to do with how that cow was raised. It was nothing mm. to do with its life before the factory. It was just the fact that this cow was just for no reason, for no reason, just be like, well, the reason is food, but you yeah. know, for unnecessarily just being killed. And I just, I, I was like, I can't be a part of that. No, no yeah. I can't be a part of that. So it was honestly complete cold turkey. It was just that one scene. It's so weird how you don't know exactly <laughs> what's going to hit for you. But, um, and honestly, overnight, I just went complete vegetarian. And I remember the next day, just sort of slowly, like life was in slow motion. I was like moving through life, like, what do I do now? <laughs> and going out for a meal with my friends and going, uh, the salad sandwich, please. And just being really <laughs> weird about it. But honestly, it was almost immediate. It was instantaneous. I remember just like finishing that first intentionally vegetarian meal yeah. and just going, oh my God, I just feel good like I don't feel full which I'm so used to feeling I'm so used to feeling like sleepy (laughs) after eating (laughs) yeah and it's like oh that's not not like you're not meant to feel sleepy after you you're meant to feel (laughs) good and just these weird little anyway it was all just clicking and falling into place and so honestly veganism followed very quickly I was vegetarian I think for like two months before I just went full vegan and I've never ever looked Looked back. back That's no, amazing. And you're one of the the OGs, I suppose, because you've gone through all the times where it's not been as easy to find something. Oh, mate. And Australia. I'm from Australia. So yeah. imagine like all of that, but plus being in like lamb country, dairy country. I mean, it was not, yeah, uh, yeah it was pretty challenging, to be honest. But I, it was, yeah, it was good to go through that time, I think, because now 
you do have that perspective for people of going, honestly, you've got it so easy. Like you've got everything you could ever, even good cheese now. There there was never good cheese a couple of years ago. (laughs) We we bow down to people like you because it means that people like us have had it just so So easy. easy. (laughs) But it's still, it's still hard, obviously. It still brings up challenges, but it's definitely easier than it used to be, which is And especially now with it being the January as well and all these companies are bringing out different kind of vegan foods and stuff like that. We had this conversation on our last podcast where Veganuary is this big thing and it's this uh, drive to get more people to eat healthily and go vegan. But as soon as Veganuary stops, all those products seem to slowly disappear and it just becomes more of a challenge again. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because all restaurants are doing Veganuary promotion and their menus expand. Like one of my favourite cafes actually in the Northern Quarter are doing a big Veganuary thing and they've got this this sausage wrap thing that's really delicious. I'm like, that's going to be gone. So just keep it. Keep the wrap. You feel like you have to get more and more of it just so that you can just, you know, supply and demand. (laughs) (laughs) So at the time then you said that you were at the gym and you were working out and things like that when you went uh, vegetarian and then vegan. How did you find that transition? from going to eating lean meats and getting your protein that way and you had a PT, did your PT go Yeah, like- I did. It, yeah, it's so funny to look back on that time actually because honestly, and I, I know people obviously people come to things with their own, you know, ideas. So I know people might be thinking that I was all just rose colored glasses, but honestly, I only felt fantastic and I just felt better and better and better. Mm. Um, I remember that my personal trainer was very concerned, of course. Um, he was yeah, really skeptical, really didn't think that it was going to work, but, um, and his meal plan for me, he was trying to help me adapt to being vegan. So I remember because I was concerned about of course, being healthy, because again, the research around that time was pretty convincing to me. And the main book that I read that I would recommend to anybody curious is Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foa. It's quite a quite an old school book now, but I'm sure it would age very well because he's just, his perspective from that book is that he was fluctuating with vegetarianism his entire life, basically. Mm-hmm. And then when his wife got pregnant, he again, just had a something clicked in his head and he went, I do not want to raise my child to eat animals. I want Mm. to raise them without eating animals. So he just combs over the research and every page is just a wealth of, and he, he just answers every single question. It's a really, really great book. Um, So I felt like having read that and all of the health stuff I've done, logically it makes sense to me that we can live this way of course it does but I just want to make sure that I am a yeah a shining representation and I don't want to be fainting at work or whatever the bad stereotypes are so um I remember I did up a I had just this piece of paper on my wall that had just like a breakdown of like you know vitamin C, vitamin B, iron, and and just like a small list of foods um and of course there's so much crossover when you do that you're like oh spinach like everything almonds oh wow everything's in almonds like there's so much crossover when you do it properly so at the end of the day every day I would just go I would just look over it very briefly this wasn't a massive exercise it was just a very casual thing I would just look at it and go oh yeah okay great I've had some of all that today brilliant and go to bed and I've never now god I've not even thought about nutrition for I can't even remember the last time I consciously thought about nutrition because I think I just set the I set it up from the beginning quite strong so yeah, now nice. um it just never even enters my mind really I mean that's how many amazing. times do you get that question oh where are you getting your protein from where you get this where you getting get your omegas from it's like it's, there. Yeah, it's like oh gosh if you look at the breakdown of a potato you're like god bloody hell potatoes are they're packed with stuff packed with yeah. things that you 
And of course, as we we would know, you need so much less of these things than people think that you do as well. Exactly. Um, Every, no one's ever gone in with a protein deficiency, have they, no. to the hospital, <laughs> really? Yeah. You don't get, oh, how did they die? Protein <laughs> deficiency. Um, <laughs> exactly. Something I, I love as well, which is not, a, you, this is not an original thought. This is something that a lot of vegans talk about, but it's, it was so true for me that I was working in this cafe in Australia and I would just eat like, yeah, I just grab a slice of bacon, munch on that. I would just show up with like a takeaway, whatever, you know, I would just eat pretty badly really before yeah. my health kick started. No one ever batted an eyelid. And then of course you come in with a, a green smoothie or you come in yeah. and you start making your massive sandwich with like loads of vegetables on it. And people are like, mm, wait a second, where, you know, that's not, that can't be right. That can't be good for you. And you're like, you didn't say that when I was eating bacon egg muffins for breakfast. Exactly. That is so true. That is so true. No one's bothered until you decide that you're going to be vegan or vegetarian. And mm. then they're all bothered about what you're getting. It's that thing that I keep saying. If you re- replace the words vegan or veganism with being kind to animals, and you hear like you change the conversation. It's like, oh, I could never be vegan. No, change that to be kind to animals. Oh, I could never be kind to animals. Mm-hmm. Do you I know love what that. I mean? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's it's really it is really interesting because it's very. I know people come to their dietary choices for lots of different reasons. Say so a lot of people, you know, they the old health. Um, ethical. There's a lot of different reasons, environmental. Um, but certainly for me, in my experience, I would say I've had a lot of friends who've experimented with eating more plant-based meals and mm. ethical decision-making is really the only one that sticks. I yeah. think, mm-hmm. um, of course, I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but I've got a lot of friends who've experimented with like environmentally, for example, going like, Oh yeah, I'm going to cut down environmental wise. And yeah, it just doesn't really stick. It's like, you need to make that connection of animals are not here to feed us. No. Animals yeah. are not here to be our entertainment. They're not here to dress us. They are here to live their own lives happily merrily off somewhere contribute to the ecosystem they have a purpose outside of human beings um and unless you really make that connection it's just not really gonna like stick long term i think 100 because even trying to do it for for health reasons i know you did that and and that stuck you could be plant-based and vegetarian and still be really unhealthy Mm. yeah there's there's so much fast food now i mean we have a zads like once a month or something yeah like it's that. a takeaway <laughs> we love them we just yeah we do um but there are fat vegans out there oh, of course yeah mm. i put weight on when we started being yeah, we vegan did, yeah. because oh, did you? yeah because i was just like oh vegan ice cream that's healthy <laughs> it's well, not <laughs> that's so true actually that's a really good point because again that's another thing of a difference of 10 years ago so 10 years ago it was just I remember there was this one place in Brisbane that I could drive to and get like a, a vegan milkshake and I would drive out of my way to get there. but yeah in your average shop it was just it was just whole foods really just yeah. switching to completely lots of rice and lots of vegetables and um so yeah that, that's been quite fun recently trying to indulge in a Ben and Jerry's a vegan Ben and Jerry's oh of course so what is what is the main difference then between the UK and Australian vegan ones? Gosh, well, I th- it's much better now, of course. Um, time has moved on and Australia has very much improved for sure. Um, I suppose Australians, there is a 
I don't, I don't want to speak, you know, too confidently about this because of course everybody's different. Everyone comes from different perspectives, but my own personal perspective is that Australians seem to have a much closer connection with their food. Mm. Um, there's a lot of markets, there's a lot of fresh food markets everywhere. Obviously the weather just allows for that. If you're walking through the Brisbane city center where I'm from, there's just like whole food markets everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to England, I remember like, oh gosh, there's not many like bakeries <laughs> like no. there's not many like, like australia there's just bakeries everywhere there's just fresh grocers everywhere and here it's like co-op sainsbury's yeah. morrison's yeah. um so i think in australia it's actually a little bit harder to convince somebody about ethical animal produce because yeah. they feel like they have their local butchers and they've got a really close connection to that product anyway and they can source it quite ethically a lot easier i think right whereas in England, of course, it's not that hard to convince somebody because you're like, well, yes, if you just walk through your local Sainsbury's aisle, surely you can see that that's not natural to just see all of that meat somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think in Australia, people have an idea that they are closer connected to their food than here yeah. in England. I think when I, I think of Australia, I just automatically go to Dumb and Dumber, that scene where Jim Carrey's in the, the limo and he goes, let's put another shrimp on the barbie. And I, I just relate Australia to... <laughs> barbecues and like fishing and and, and things like mm. that so it's, it's a lot of seafood meat, yeah meat and seafood yeah so I, I would imagine being vegan over there would be quite difficult to start off with yeah it is it's it's difficult in attitudes wise for sure um I'd say things that are easier are yeah any cafe you go to they'll have some incredible you know tropical fruit bowl with like oh, coconut nice. yogurt and like passion fruit and like so there's loads of delicious food if you're vegan and loads of lots of obviously avocado and toast is the Australian staple um <laughs> which I'm so avocado. glad has managed to migrate its way here but that's been like a big Australian staple forever um the smash we call it um so, <laughs> so there's a lot of options for vegans but yeah certainly attitude wise um there's not a lot of embracing around it when I was living there anyway. And of course I go home, try to go home every couple of years. And I think it's still quite a, yeah, I'd say Britain seems to be embracing it a lot quicker. Mm. Um, Australia. I imagine the larger cities are probably a bit easier than the sort of smaller towns as it is in, in, in the UK anyway. anyway. Yeah. Mm. So as we are the plant-based performance podcast, we're not only interested in your, your vegan journey, we're interested in your uh, journey into the industry as well. Like you said, you went to drama school and we've got a list of credits here for you. And Hannah, you don't stop. You're the manager of Hope Mill Theatre, founder of Her Productions, co-founder of Play With Fire Productions and How I Knew You was producer of Manchester ADP. ADP. Guys, it's all about vegan plant power. You just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, so, would you like to tell us how, like, where you first wanted to be an actress and through to, to where you are now? Thank you. Thank you. It's, and it's, a, it's actually a really nice time to get a moment to just reflect on stuff because, of course, 2020 has been such a hard year for everybody. Yes. And certainly I think we're all missing acting and performing and we're all missing that chance to so it's quite nice actually to go gosh yes actually I have done stuff I've not just watched <laughs> Netflix for my whole life um so yeah I trained as an actor as you know and I loved it and I've always that's always been my soul for sure mm. and I think oh it's kind of hard to talk about but I think one of the things that as an actor is really difficult is realizing 
just how many people there are out there who are insanely talented and insanely brilliant and going, do I use, I, I don't know, I think I've start, gotten to a point now where I've started convincing myself that I don't deserve opportunities or if I do do a self-tape you're like well like I've sort of gotten to that point now of not even thinking that I'll get cast in anything and then if it happens holy shit amazing um so that's actually something I want to work on a bit in this year moving into 2021 I want to move back into a bit more of a positive acting mindset and going no I do deserve to be cast but it is hard I think for us all um it really is yeah, it's it's a really challenging industry, and um, I'm hoping, say, maybe when I'm at like 45, I feel like I'll just, you know, maybe come into my own. But I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. That's what I'm telling myself now. But anyway, so yeah, trained as an actor, and I actually had quite a bit of success when I first started out. Really, I did an amazing, huge Shakespeare project um, mm. in Australia, which I loved. I played Puck, and mm. that was like a six month, eight month tour. Oh, it was that's a dream. my dream role. Oh, it was it was just incredible. It was I played, amazing. I played Bottom, but I've never played Puck. Oh, oh I could see it was both. I could see yeah. it being <laughs> Yeah, no, Puck, it was it was just amazing. And then I've always wanted to I always wanted to move to England. I just felt that I um Australia is a very yeah, again with the confidence and how I saw myself and how I, I cast myself in my own head. I saw Australia as a lot of beach babes and beautiful, mm. like washboard abs types. And I would look on things like Coronation Street or like British television. I'd go, I think maybe I'd have a bit more success, uh, you know, maybe somewhere else, maybe not quite in Australia. I just didn't see myself on TV in Australia. Whereas when I looked at British TV, I was like, maybe, maybe I could be there. That's um, really so interesting I, moved- I was going to ask like, why why Britain rather than America? But I think you've answered that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? I think I just felt, I just imagined it would be maybe nicer here, maybe yeah. a little less hard, a bit more of a, a community, which of course, thankfully is exactly what I found, which is also why I chose Manchester over London. I just thought yeah. Manchester seems like a nicer place to be. I think if I went to London, I could just imagine getting that nightmare that we all imagine of just auditioning, auditioning, feeling miserable, living in a shit apartment to just, I, I, th- that's not for me. I want a life that I can be happy with and I want friends around me and I want to just act in a way that makes me happy rather yeah. than, you know, I'll sacrifice everything <laughs> to make it. Like, I don't think that's the right attitude. No. Um, so, but I, oh my gosh, it could not have been the better decision, obviously. Manchester was everything I thought it would be. The community here is absolutely amazing. And what immediately struck me about Manchester is that I would go, oh, that, that's that's something that should happen. Like that's a little gap maybe. And it was so, I don't want to say easy, but very, um, oh, fuck it, easy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's okay, I you have the explicit thing on, don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, great. Well, I'll keep going. No. Um, but yeah, it was very easy to to make something and to start something up. And I was like, if you get some friends together, and say you want to put on a play, you can just hire a venue. And I know that mm. that sounds ridiculous, but in Australia, that is not a thing. Really? <laughs> in Brisbane, where I grew up, there was one independent venue. There was bigger, larger spaces where like Wicked would tour through. And then there was mm. this massive independent space called the Brisbane Powerhouse, which is stunning. But in terms of like something, say like the King's Arms equivalent or 53.2 or any of these amazing spaces that we have here, there was like this one place in Brisbane and it was very difficult to book. It was very rarely available. So mm. the fact that here I was like, well, I could just contact that building and just put on a play it was just a very empowering feeling really Mm. so I think I just got 
addicted to it and I, I just couldn't stop. <laughs> so I just kept on going. Um, and I started off um, using that as a bit of a platform for acting, obviously, and for with Play With Fire, my, me and my co-founder, Dan, we sort of said we'll take it in turns to be in shows. And what's happened, I think, lately over the last few years especially, I've just that's fallen away a bit now. And now the producing has really started to take over acting. And now I'm definitely not producing things to act in them. I'm just producing things because I love producing and I love making theatre. Um, but yeah, as I say, we'll try and uh, shift the balance a bit more in 2021 because um, I definitely do a lot more producing these days, but I'll try and um, balance it's it out a bit. It's so hard to find a good producer. I When I moved to Manchester a couple of years ago, I, I found it hard to break into the Manchester theatre acting world. If you didn't know someone in there already, it's hard just to to break down that door. So I was like, like you, fuck it, I'll just do my own thing. And I uh, created my own theatre company called Northern Productions. And we put on our first play at the Greater Manchester Fringe. And um, yeah, it's... I've completely forgot where I was going with that, that tangent then. <laughs> See, I go but you've never tangents. found it. But it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like going like, yeah. oh gosh, I can just do this. Like Manchester is so open to new And then once talent, you're in, you kind of start making those connections and, and it, it does, it just becomes that that little bit easier as well. But, oh, yeah. producing, that's where I was going <laughs> on this. Uh, we decided like the next year we wanted to do it again, but the producing side is so hard. I don't think actors yeah. really understand what a producer does. Could you, could you just break that down quickly for us? Oh. What does a producer do? Yeah, it, it's, it is really hard. And actually, it's a really good um, uh, time for that conversation because, of course, I think this year it's it's just the producing side of it. I mean, I see a lot of – I look at Twitter too much and I need to quit Twitter <laughs> because it's so depressing. But I feel like my whole Twitter feed is actors who were just so upset about the fact that they're not acting, which I totally understand and I feel mm-hmm. the same way. But I'm like, well, try that, except that you've done all the work for it and then it just gets taken away constantly over and over and over again like that is what 2020 has been for producers Mm -hmm. producers who do all of this work and set up all of this groundwork invest money a lot of the time as well you know investing in something and then it's just like oh no we can't do that anymore or no that's been postponed till we don't even know when it's so difficult um so producers i mean the best way i've always thought to explain it is you are the manager basically Mm. everything is is your problem (laughs) Um, the where are we doing it what is the piece if it's new writing um I'm very um passionate about if someone comes to me with a piece of new writing I want to make sure it's really ready before it gets loads of money thrown at it actors time etc so doing R&D processes matching writers with dramaturgs you're really like nurturing that piece so that when it goes out there people it's great and it's ready or it's of the highest standard it could get to within a reasonable amount of time obviously um if it's an established text it's applying for rights it's dealing with contracts paperwork booking venues it's finding the right venue i think a lot of producers or people who want to get into producing they forget about that relationship between the space and the piece and Mm. a lot of things that i see in manchester i have to admit i think this is in the wrong venue there's mm-hmm. there's options here you know that, yeah. and and actually as the manager of hope mill you see it at hope mill a lot people go i want to put my show on at hope mill and that's fantastic and we love that but then you talk to them about the piece and you're like that's not going to work in this space like we're not yeah. a we are a cotton mill a converted cotton mill with exposed brick and unless you have tens of thousands 
thousands of pounds to spend on your set. You need to make a show that's going to fit in this space. Yeah. Um, we've had lots of people come in and do stuff, you know, in the round or this. Like, but we have round theaters. <laughs> Don't do that at Hope Mill. Anyway, so yeah, I think that's it's it's everything that happens up until I guess a director takes over the reins in the rehearsal room is all the producer and then it's communication of course is the big one bringing the designer mm-hmm. lighting designer sound designer director assistant director stage manager actors Crazy. bringing all those people together to like manage their expectations miscommunication I think is the biggest thing that goes wrong in a show mm-hmm. people oh I thought you were doing that oh I thought that was happening yep. next week yeah produce that's all on my shoulders is to make sure that everybody is on the same page and then of course you have to sell the damn thing you've got to get bums on seats and that is um if I had a magic genie uh, if I had three wishes (laughs) one one of my wishes would just be I marketing I never had to worry about marketing ever again like some Mm. person would just magic themselves and come to me and go we're going to do all your marketing (laughs) forever for everything because that is still obviously a producer's burden is to get the budget balanced and um that's probably I think the most stressful aspect of producing outside of when things go wrong within the team of course any like tensions or difficulties because certainly for me now you've probably definitely felt speaking to me for a few minutes that I really want everything to be good and I really yeah. want everyone to be happy. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. <laughs> so when you're on a process and people, there's tension, that's probably my worst case scenario. Sounds oh, like gosh. a lot of keeping a lot of plates spinning. spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But when you when you do they, when they do all spin and it all goes well, it's a very rewarding feeling, of course, mm, when it see. all happens to plan. We always get told as actors, and you've probably been told this as well, as like, create your own work to get out there. If, if you're not getting hired or anything, create your own work. And actors are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I really want to do that. I'll write my own piece. But as soon as it comes to putting it on and putting the producer hat on, it all just goes to shit. Because <laughs> there's a lot to do. And I don't think people truly understand the amount of work it takes a producer to do. And we had this conversation with Northern Productions was like, let's get a producer in for our next piece. And it's like, how much does a producer charge? And it's that whole thing of people wanting actors to work for free, but people also want producers to work for free. And that, how does, how does that, well, obviously it makes you feel bad, but can, can you explain to our listeners like why they should invest in a producer? Gosh, well, I, I don't know how you would um, feel about this. So please like interrupt me and jump in. But I, for me, what I like to think of is, um, and I don't know if you went to this, but um, 53.2 hosted a, a fringe discussion a few years ago. I missed, I was working, but I wanted to go, yeah. It was really, really, really interesting. And of course, I just sat there a bit like fly on the wall-esque, just mm-hmm. like listening because I was so intrigued. And for me, what really came out of that discussion and what I believe passionately is what what is the scope of this project? What is the dream scenario? And what is the what are we trying to do with this? Mm. For example, with um, a show that Play With Fire did last year called Danny in the Deep Blue Sea. Wait, not last year. It wasn't in 2020. <laughs> it was in 2019. Uh, but in 2019, Danny in the Last Deep year didn't count. It's fine. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just last year. Um, we literally just wanted to be in a room with a couple of people and just make a great piece of art. That's all we mm. wanted to do. We had we didn't invest any money in any design. We sourced a couple of bar tables and a couple of chairs. Like we want to do a fringe play. That is what we want to do. No one's getting paid. We're doing a profit share. And we felt like we could do that because we've done a lot of Arts Council funded projects. And this was just a passion, passion, passion project. So there was only three of us in the team. It was just me, 
the co-star Danny Solomon and our director Dan Bradford. It was just the three of us. Mm. And we say we had no money in it at all. And we just wanted to rehearse it. We did like five, six days of rehearsal or something. Anyway, and we had just the best time. And but what we did with that is that we made the conscious decision that everything around it was going to be very clearly this is a passion project. Like we didn't have a big fancy poster. We didn't have a big set. We didn't sort of do loads of marketing. We just did like Facebook posts so that the the expectation was set right from the beginning. We're not coming to watch some big all singing and all dancing production. We're coming to watch a passion project. Mm. And I think if that's the case, go for it. You know, you, you, if you want to make something that's just to feed your soul, make something to feed your soul. But (laughs) if on the other hand, which is more to your point, if you really want to make an incredible piece of professional theater, if you want to make or a piece of theater that you can be really, really proud of and you want to work in a professional capacity, then yeah, you need to really be thinking about where your money's coming from. And that's where a producer comes in generally. A producer is in charge of fundraising. Um, so my main fundraising source is the Arts Council. And so you want a producer who's got some experience of writing bids. And I was that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Well, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I obviously everybody's going to work differently, but I would suggest with a producer, you sort of begin the relationship by going, if you're happy to fundraise for it of course, your fee would be a part of that Arts Council bid. And maybe as a goodwill gesture, you go, we'd like to pay you to write the bid, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. like some small fee to write it so that no one's getting taken advantage of. And then obviously, if the bid goes through successfully, fantastic, you've got your funding, everyone can get paid, it can all happen. And the producer can work their fee into the Arts Council bid, because realistically, none of us have money. So it's not fair to say to a young, like theatre company, oh, you should be paying everybody. Well, yeah, we should be, but what do you, we're not magic. Like we're not just going to be pulling money out of somewhere. Like that's just not how it works. And social media, I think is becoming a very difficult place for this because people have these grand ideas with no understanding of the nitty gritty complexity of how things work. And they can go, is this paid? How much are you paying people? Yeah. Where where do you think that money's coming from? Like unless (laughs) it's funded or supported by a venue, we're just trying to make work and crack on and have a good time. And you don't have to apply if you mm. don't want to. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's all, for me, it's all about scope and it's yeah. about what are we trying to do with this? And I think, yeah, if you want to make something really amazing and you want to pay everybody, yeah, you definitely need a producer <laughs> who amazing. can balance that budget for you and keep That's it all. Keep so it bringing it back to uh, veganism, what's your experience been like being a vegan in this industry? I mean, your biggest role is Hannah Gilmore from Coronation Street back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where our listeners will will know you from. Um, yeah, how does how does like Coronation Street and and just the acting industry in general just treat you as a vegan? I think what my main question would be like: When did you have that conversation? Did you have the conversation with your agent? Did you have it with the casting director in the room? Did you have it on set? Where did it? come into and how did they accommodate you? Mm, that's a really good question, actually, because um, <laughs> it's more of a do not story than a do story. Okay. Um, because I I was just so in a flux about that entire thing. As you can imagine, it was very quick. Um, I got the phone call to say, you've got the job. 
on Thursday and I started the Monday was wow. my first day of filming oh, oh my gosh. as you can imagine and just quickly going oh, sit ups joking um, <laughs> <laughs> but just trying to quickly go oh my gosh how do I do this so the veganism thing didn't even enter my head at first right. it was just like oh my gosh you know again it's like this has been my life for 10 years so I just don't even think about it really anymore and then um it wasn't quite the first day of filming I think it was so at, at Coronation Street there's just a, a, a massive um food cafeteria area basically and cast eat for free so you can mm. just go in and like help yourself it's just like a buffet basically so that was just easy didn't even think about it but then yeah there was I think it was my second day of filming we were filming a scene in a car Jim and I were in the car you know having chatting about our evil plans <laughs> and we were eating a chippy you know from the fast food from the chippy yeah and they and like someone came over and just gave us two packages and I just oh my god and I just opened this package and it was just this Fish. burger oh, with bacon and she had, like, oh. all of this stuff and like chips on the side. And I just looked at this thing and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And I thought, what do I do if they tell, say, okay, so Hannah, take a bite of your burger and then say your line. I was like, I don't know what to do. Oh, but of no. course, this is just rookie, you know, inexperience, you know, mm. because of course, there was no expectation for me to eat the food. It's just a prop, thankfully. But that panic that just went over of like, oh my God, what do I do with this prop? Um, but so then after that day, thankfully, say so I could just like pick up the chips and just hold them and just <laughs> mime. Um, but so after that, I then emailed my agent and said, I've never even thought to let you know, but can you please inform the team that I'm vegan, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then of course it was all just fine from there because I swear every single scene that I had, I was either in the bistro or in the cafe or in the pub, just, there's just food just and drink, of course, everywhere. Um, so yeah, so then it was all fine from there, but I just remember that time of, and I don't know if, if either of you guys ever feel this, but I still do have that. Oh, I don't want to be a problem. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very hard to get over that, I think. And of course it's, fine especially when you compare it to what god some actors must put crews through like it's not a big deal (laughs) but what about like this is things that i've never had to worry about as such but i I know our female listeners will makeup products and costume and things like that were were they vegan friendly did did you even have that conversation or well uh fun fact um and this is where you can uh feel free to be as complimentary as you like i I did not have any makeup on in Coronation Street. Wow. I had a bit of fake tan. Um, so my first day when they were doing the makeup test, they were like, so we're going to put a bit of fake tan on you. Um, and yeah, and then and then that that's it. That's Amazing. Fantastic. I'm sorry. Because of course I was a disgusting, horrible villain type, which I'm guessing they didn't want anyone to feel warmly towards. So I was like, what do you mean? What, what, what about my glamorous future of getting booked constantly for jobs? Lol, didn't happen. So, so honestly, every bit of Corey you see, I literally have on a bit of fake tan of which I, I, you know, I never looked at the product or anything. They just had this tube of fake tan that they would put on me every day. Um, that is literally it. Did not have mm. any makeup on, anything at all. The clothes were all, I, d- I don't know. I, I mean that, and I think, I don't know if this is um, sort of, yeah, disappointing or not, but I I think my general feeling is because I was, that was like my first TV job and I didn't really know the lay of the land or anything. I would see people around me 
who are obviously in a position where they can really make demands mm. and say things and ask to change their tops or ask for things or going, could I have a bit more of this on? That was not my experience. My experience no. was I am just here. I am going to be as easy to work with as possible. Um, but thankfully, apart from that one time with the burger, um, there was no moment where I felt like I was compromising anything or that I was having something put on me. Like the, her clothes were very, it was like a lot of jeans and flannel shirts, <laughs> Again, very glamorous. Um, so there was no moment where I was like, oh, this is a, definitely a leather shoe. Like there was no, yeah. no moments like that. And I think if that, if I'm ever put into a position like that again, where I actually get booked on television or on a film, fingers crossed guys. 2021, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. 2021, we'll see. Um, I think I would have a much better idea now of how to handle those conversations and just doing it right from the very beginning. Yeah. And yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel like I'm in exactly the same boat as you. I've not had a, my first TV credit yet and I wouldn't even know where to start with that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when when do you feel like you're at that kind of level where you can start going, actually, everything has to be vegan? Or are you just like cutting yourself out of roles? Are you being difficult? Because as actors, we want to be easygoing. We want to be hired again and things like that. So it's, it's hard. Just, yeah, it's really it? hard. Yeah, it is it hard. Is, I think... Oh, sorry. No, carry on. Uh, no, no. I, I was just going to say that I think as well, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I like to approach everything in a very logical way, I came to veganism out of logic because the logic steered me there. Mm. So therefore, when you're in a, a makeup chair and it's just, there's just makeup everywhere. And my brain would go, I don't think that there is necessarily a logical, if, if they have all this stuff and if for like one person, I'm like, these are my demands about my makeup. Is it vegan? Is it this? I suppose I go, I don't think that there's any demand being created by them just grabbing a brush and dabbing my cheeks with that one product. I obviously would never, ever go out of, I would never purchase anything that wasn't Mm -hmm. vegan. Mm. But if I'm in a chair where they have all this existing loads and loads of makeup, there's no demand necessarily being created. But at the same time, of course, as I say, moving moving forward, if I can make that known at the beginning, then obviously that increases their awareness. They think about it. Maybe they buy more vegan products and that's obviously a good. But when you're already there, when you're in the chair, it's like, okay, fine, just whatever. (laughs) I guess it's that kind of conversation that needs to be had. The more we have this conversation about vegan performers and and things like that, the more the production companies are going to be like, yeah, let's let's cater for them. As they would do any specific religion or sexuality or gender. It's just one of those things that the conversation needs to start and we're the best people to to start that conversation. 100%. So true. In anything that you've produced, have you had the chance to sort of put anything in place for for vegans that have maybe been in your productions, anything like that? Um, I mean, a little bit. I one of the things that I'm. Um, it's not. It's, it's isn't necessarily about veganism, but um, one of my many uh, exploits over the years was we had a rehearsal studio in um, on Newton Street. It was called Hope Studios. Yes, and yeah, and that was um, honestly the amount of rubbish every day was absolutely upsetting it was like upsetting so at the end of the day just emptying the bins I would get (laughs) emotional about how much rubbish it's like every person has three takeaway coffees their lunch in a plastic container it's just so much waste and we have a studio now um as well it's a much smaller it's just one room in Ancoats um and now with all of the things that I produce, I actually do have like an environmental sheet that I write out, which is 
it basically it's hard because you don't want to make life more difficult for people, but essentially it's no plastic lunch containers. And if you have to go out and buy lunch, of course, it's absolutely fine, but please to make a conscious effort to not be throwing away loads of plastic every day. And certainly obviously no, like takeaway coffee cups, just we've got a kettle here. We've got a this, of course, if we're in town, we'll go out and get a coffee because we don't have the same facilities. But when we're in that studio, it's really hard because you don't want to judge anybody and I don't judge people. But at the same time, it really adds up. And and that is something that I think is a very easy addition, an easy shift to make. And again, if you make it clear right from the outset, then people can go, okay, I don't want to be a part of that company. I don't want to be part of that process because that's not how I live my life. But I'm going to work more and more towards making that very clear from the outset of if you are in a her production show, minimal waste, minimal plastic containers, plastic water bottles. I mean... I don't want to dictate what people eat for lunch, obviously, but in terms of just plastic and that waste, if throwing away two full garbage bags every day is just not necessary for a no, company of eight people. It's like, that's insane. That's amazing. I absolutely, I really respect that. Really respect that. We, um, we did um, a, an all-female Shakespeare last year, and um, which an amazing, incredible company of people. It was a brilliant experience. Um, but yeah, and I was there every day and just I was just looking at the bin constantly like, look at the bin. It's already <laughs> full. It's only one o'clock. How is the bin already full? Um, oh, so yeah, but I, I think, yeah, something I'm going to hopefully actually be producing my first film this year, which I'm very excited about. Um, We've got a funding bid in for that. And if that goes through, then hopefully that will be very exciting. But actually we did, I think on a film project, much easier to control. Mm. One of the things that we wrote into that was plant-based catering because obviously on a film set, you are doing the catering. So Mm -hmm. when I'm in control of that, I think we could easily make that plant-based and nobody would bat an eyelid. Whereas on theatre, it's much more like everyone brings their own food for theatre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, we're planning a wedding at the moment. Oh, and uh, Congratulations. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and we've literally just had this conversation uh, about it's our wedding. Everything's going to be plant-based. Yeah, absolutely. And my brother's like, oh, we'll see about that. I'm like, no, we won't he's see like, about he's that. He's like, but, but what about the non-vegans? I was like, they'll they'll eat plant-based food because it won't kill them. It's our (laughs) wedding. We're in charge. You'll do what we say. (laughs) I mean, that's a really interesting, I would love your thoughts on that because that is something that still gets thrown at me a lot is, well, you can't dictate what I eat, which on one hand I understand, but also it is not a comparison. Mm -mm. Me eating meat is not a comparison to you eating one vegan meal. Yeah, There's no comparison there. And if people don't understand that, then I don't think that there's much much logic that can prevail. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us more about this film? Is it secret at the moment or? It's, it's probably a little bit secret. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a really, really exciting screenplay that, someone I know wrote, they asked if I would get involved on the producing side, which I said, yes. And we've just um, applied for a BFI funding grant, essentially BFI have, oh my gosh, fantastic funding resources that I've never doubled into because I've always been on the theater side. But um, when they approached me, I thought, well, I'm love, would love to start getting into film. And so hopefully if that funding goes through, then we'll start 
shouting from the rooftops and going, we're making a film. Um, It's a really gorgeous script. So that would be fantastic. And if we just had that support from BFI, say vegan catering, no plastic, you know. (laughs) Amazing. We'll need to catch up with you in the future and see what's what's happening with that. Hopefully, hopefully projects so how do you deal well i think we've literally just touched on this how do you deal with non-vegans asking you the stupid questions about veganism like is the one really in particular that that really gets to you and how, how do you deal with that i think one of the questions that really bothers me the most is the this, I mean, even saying it, I feel embarrassed. I have to remind myself, I don't say this, but it's it's when people do the plant feelings thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, carrots are alive, plants are alive. Yeah. I, you would be, maybe not, you maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but maybe listeners would be shocked at how often that actually does get thrown. Because I think for me, the people that I know and I'm surrounded by, they're exhausted. They've exhausted out the protein questions and anything like that. Now I'm getting more into the really cerebral, like, well, actually all things are alive. Um, and I also find very frustrating, um, anything to do with, well, actually almonds, you know, are really bad for the environment. Like these comparisons about plant-based foods that are really bad for the environment. Mm. And I don't necessarily consider those stupid questions, but I just consider them frustrating because as you guys probably are aware, when you do, when you have looked into it and you've done all of the research and, and you feel like you stay relatively up to date, there's just no comparison between the environmental impacts of animal produce yeah. and plant-based produce. And it doesn't mm. mean that some plant-based produce is not bad for the environment, but it, it's infinitely better than what we do with animal products. Yeah. And of course, if we were just doing much more plant-based production and less animal-based production, we would be in a much better position. Um, so I find that quite difficult. And one of my biggest pet peeves, um, I'm sure no one I know, um, listening would be necessarily listening, but they might be smiling at this point because I go on about it all the time. (laughs) Soy, 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 soy. This is my biggest, it makes me so mad. Some, for some reason over the last couple of years, cafes have just stopped providing soy milk. And I have made it my personal mission to every time I go into a cafe and I go, a soy latte, please. And I go, oh, sorry, we only have oat and coconut. And I go, oh, that's interesting. Can I ask why you don't stop soy milk? Oh, because it's really bad uh, for the environment (laughs) and you can't make coffee with it properly. Well, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of those things are true. And I actually, there's someone who's a, who's an actor who I have a little Instagram battle going on with, um, a regular, I won't name them, but a regular <laughs> battle because they are a barista and they are vehement that you cannot make coffee like, like patterns and make proper coffee with soy milk. So every time I go into a cafe and I have a soy latte, I just take a picture and send it to them. I'm like, Oh, look at this pretty pattern. Cause it's okay. just mad. Like I was a barista in Australia I served coffee. I was, I worked in hospitality. I worked at home. I worked at the corner house. I make coffee at Hope Mill. I make a lot of coffee (laughs) with soy milk and you 100% can make coffee with soy milk. No problem. It doesn't hurdle. (laughs) Of course it can do if you don't do it properly, but anyway, I could write about this all day. (laughs) There is a very scary, actually, this, this narrative that's out there that obviously is perpetuated by the dairy industry, that soy milk and soy is this devil. Mm. And anyone who's informed knows that that's because soy is used for all kinds of purposes, mass produced to feed cattle, all of these bad, bad, bad purposes. 
So it's just very ironic. I just find it very ironic. Like there's not enough vegans in the world to account for the amount of soy production, right? What it is. Um, But it really bothers me because it's an example of how those messages can really get in and can really get into people's psyche. And these really great cafe owners are not stocking a product because they think it's bad Mm -hmm. when actually it's not bad and almond milk by all accounts someone would be like it's probably way worse yeah um but i do anyway i just i find it really fascinating so i get i get frustrated about misinformation i guess the whole thing with soy for me when i first went vegan and i had friends come up to me who were in the gym and and things like that they said oh be careful with the amount of soy produce that you're consuming because it's full of estrogen and it's like yes you'll get boobs (laughs) (laughs) cheers for that thanks i think i'm doing all right yeah (laughs) I'm going to jump on the soy bandwagon with you because I, yeah, I get very frustrated by that as well. And I, I don't make coffee the same way that you probably do. I've only just started drinking coffee, but I love a soy latte. So oh, it's great, but it, it's just like, it's just really, because of course, I don't know again, if you guys have dabbled into any of this, but when it was all for flaring up, I made a really conscious effort. I was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I really want to find all the science about how bad soy is. Mm. Literally every scientific study that has been done around soy, it is so good for you. It's so good for you. And the amount of soy that you would have to ingest to have any problem with your estrogen levels <laughs> is like absurd it's like an absurd amount so but it's just yeah i think veganism and vegan products obviously there's going to be a lot of pushback from yeah industries that have a lot of money to pummel into certain amounts of information so i just find it really really fascinating and i think it's always going to have a big comeback maybe in like five years time people it'll pass and people go oh yeah you know Asia have been living on tofu and soy forever and they're all super healthy and that's never been an issue. So why are we suddenly obsessed with soy? Bring it back. You should do a you should do a TikTok of you just doing a soy uh, (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) Haven't gone into TikTok yet. (laughs) The last sort of main question we've got for you is what more do you think the industry could do to support vegans? Oh wow! That's Is there anything question. you think they could we could really do with? I, I mean, <laughs> this is really not a good answer, but it was just the first thing that came into my head. You know that message that comes at the end of films? It's like no animals were harmed in the making of this yes. film. <laughs> Only put that message on if you had vegan catering, right? <laughs> I mean, I just great. Every yeah. every time I see that message, I'm like, this is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> was all the catering plant based? I highly doubt it. You harmed a I, lot of animals in the making. I saw it. those characters eating those burgers. <laughs> that <laughs> guy was riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that this is a very obvious answer. But it, there is definitely not enough done to you know, check about preferences for sure. Like dietary preferences. The only time I ever really see, uh, when I'm working professionally, anything about dietary preferences, if it's literally a commercial for a certain product, like we, yeah. what, this is a, a dairy commercial and are you okay to eat dairy? And even in those scenarios, it's pretty like you better be. And, and to be fair, I guess you better be because if you can't eat dairy, you probably shouldn't be in the dairy commercial, but still yeah. it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there is a lot of, um, yeah, as you, you guys mentioned earlier about the, you know, accounting for people's religious preferences. And and I think that's a really good point. We we do need to be thinking about people's 
ethical decision making and the the life that they want to live should Mm. be absolutely as important as a religion that someone's chosen to live their life by um especially considering the positive effects that veganism has for everyone around and the influence that it can create um i don't know if you guys have found this but i've certainly found being vegan like the people around me do tend to yeah become more aware of things and make slightly better decisions and it's definitely 100 i've got a friend who was dead against being vegan and since i've become vegan and he challenged me to a certain point now he's slowly going more plant-based and i'm like that's that's fantastic just just the little wins man we don't have to be 100 percent perfect I think we, we keep saying this, don't we? You don't have to be 100% perfect as a vegan. We'd rather you be 100 imperfect vegans. Absolutely. Make a difference. Exactly. Absolutely. That's your little saying, that. <laughs> so, Hannah, we're going to finish with some quick fire questions. You've got 60 seconds. Don't think about it. First thing that comes to your head, there's some yes and no questions. There's just some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. You ready? Okay. Three. Two, one. Favourite vegan meal? Oh, sweet potato. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Theatre, TV or film? Theatre. Musicals or plays? Plays. What's your best audition moment? Uh, I didn't know I was auditioning to be a mermaid and I was being a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> What's your worst audition moment? <laughs> As above. <laughs> Do you prefer singing or dancing? Singing. Champagne or wine? Wine. Tofu or corn? Tofu. This is a hard one. The UK or Australia? Oh, I guess I chose to live here, so I have to say UK. (laughs) (laughs) Would you prefer to win a BAFTA or an Oscar? Sorry, BAFTA, but Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Do you prefer performing or producing? Performing. Best serial drama? Uh, Oh, Succession. Uh, what are you reading right now? Nothing. <laughs> last, and last one, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Marvellous, even. Yeah, that, those are good questions. Those are very good questions. Uh, yeah, so just quickly, once I was in an audition and I had no idea what I was auditioning for and they it was like just a, a nervous receptionist was the description and it said, so she knocks a, she knocks a glass of water over to her, at her boss's desk and it's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. This was the script basically. Beautiful. And then it carried on a bit and I, I did the audition and I was like, mind knocking, not knocking the water over. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please don't fire me, sir. And the director stopped the audition and she said, that was really, really great. Thank you so much. If you could just do it again and, and if we could, could just get a little more panic around the, the water, because obviously if she touches it, she'll turn into a mermaid. <laughs> okay. And action. <laughs> and action. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Well, obviously. Oh, I'm so sorry. And it just did this weird acting. Like I was afraid of the water for a second. I had no time to even process what she said. It was the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> Absolutely oh. humiliating. Oh. Hannah, the, the last question that we're going to ask all of our guests, so it's the first time we're asking it. If our listeners could take one thing away from this chat, it could be a piece of advice. It could just be some information. It could be anything. What would you like that one thing to be? Don't be afraid of 
learning anything and everything that's out there and making up your own mind about what you want to do with that information. And you do not have to conform to any sort of label. You don't have to be anything. You can just make decisions that you feel really good about and that you feel like you can hold your head up high and go, yeah, today I ate a bit less of that thing. Or today I sourced that new product I've been wanting to try, but that there is a lot of power in the decisions that you make about your food. It is probably the greatest impact that you will have as a human being. And we don't talk about that enough, how Mm. much the power that you have by your food decisions. And you should be happy about that. It shouldn't be a burden. It should be a nice, empowering thing, not a sad thing. Amazing. Knowledge is power. Where can people find you, Hannah, on social media if they wanted to come follow you? No, I'm just at Hannah Ellis Ryan on Twitter and Instagram. We'll pop that in our... Branding 101 right there. funnily enough i actually used to have a a vegan blog but i had to stop it a few years ago because i just didn't have the time but for for now it's just hannah ellis ryan amazing well thank you so much for being our first guest it's been amazing chatting to you and getting to know you do you have anything that you want to plug to our listeners can they go away and support you in any way Oh, thank you. I say this this year, it's it's a bit challenging. At the moment, I am doing full-blown promotion on a new writing event called Vignettes, um, which is her production's first production of 2021. We did a Vignettes last year at Hope Mill Theatre, so we're very much hoping that we'll be able to do this one in April, first two weeks of April. So on her productions, you'll see lots of Vignettes announcements happening at the moment. It should be absolutely amazing. Six new plays by female playwrights. Oh, wow. We'll definitely, we will be front row centre if that goes ahead in person if we can we got the tickets to rent and uh, we saw that live on the tv which was brilliant it was incredible it was Absolutely good wasn't incredible. it they did such a good job I love Rent anyway and yeah I did a little bit of a, a review a couple of episodes ago um about it and I just I'm still not quite over it I'm still I'm still not over how good the guy was that played Roger I'm just not over it oh He's amazing. So good. (laughs) I think that was as well his first professional job. I read that, which is insane. Absolutely insane. It was Um, a very, very good cast. Very talented group of people. Amazing. Yeah. So as we were saying, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. No, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. And I can't wait to keep my eye on the podcast and all of the stuff that you guys do. It's great. It's a really good idea. Thank you. How good was that? It was so nice to to speak to Hannah. I, as soon as we hung up, I was like, she is so cute. She's lovely, so lovely. She? So bubbly and very intelligent. So intelligent. And I don't mean to sound surprised at that. She just, I always am in awe of people who know how to articulate exactly what they're trying to say. As you can tell, I struggle. <laughs> <laughs> but she's so eloquent and knowledgeable and it's yeah. just straight to the point. No fluff. I think I think it's amazing. Yeah, she's she's an awesome awesome chick. So please do check out her work because she deserves all the love in the world. Definitely, I, I found what she was saying about soy so interesting. As yeah, well. I know. Let's let's like start like a club. Like we need to like get soy into cafes. <laughs> <laughs> well, when cafes can open again properly. 
yeah, please, as Emma said, follow Hannah on all her social medias and follow all of her goings on on all their social mm-hmm. medias as well, especially if you're an actor or any kind of performer in Manchester. It's always good to connect. Absolutely. And we've got some more amazing guests lined up. We we seem to have just found all these absolutely amazing people who are going to have such good things to say and good tips for everybody. So please do um, stay yeah. tuned. Also, if you want to come on the podcast as a guest, just get in touch with us at... On Instagram and Twitter, we are PB Performers Pod, And we also have an email address, which is plantbasedperformers at gmail.com. Also, if you're listening to this on Apple, please do leave us a review. Leave us a five-star rating. Just helps us get the word out. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it for this week. What about Oreo? What about Oreo? Do we have an Oreo update? He's brilliant. (laughs) That's your update. We watched Wreck-It Ralph recently. (laughs) And you know when they go into um, Sugar Rush? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've got the Oreo. 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 That's his new theme tune. <laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for listening. And thanks so, so, so much once again to Hannah Ellis Ryan for being our first guest. Thank you, Hannah. So, from me. And me. And of course, Oreo, Oreo. <laughs> this has been us putting veganism back in the spotlight. See you next time. Thanks for joining. We had a blast on the plant-based performance.